It's time to stop reimagining things and actually start changing them. Tune in to Recalibrate with Samsung, where we'll discuss how technology is changing the way we work, connect, and live our lives. Today on Recalibrate, we welcome Simon Locke, CTO of RG Nets, and Reed S. Stryker from Samsung B2B Mobile Marketing to take a look at the future of workspaces and how personal devices and networks will lead the corporate world to its next interconnected phase. Now here's your host, Jason Claybrook. Thanks guys for being here. Dr. Simon Locke. What's up? Reed. Dr. Reed. Dr. Reed. No, I'm kidding. Not, not a doctor. doctor not here. a doctor. I mean, we have Dr. Rude, Dr. Locke. What are you doctor of, man? I have a PhD in computer science. Human-computer interaction. What does that mean? Well, it's the science behind how you deal with technology and people, rather than talking about it from a, a perspective that most people would, which is to say that, oh, you throw some stuff at a wall, see if it, some people like it or not, right? For everything, you can have use the scientific method, right? So you can do things, for example, like measure, is this form of interaction superior? Does it allow you to get the job done more efficiently? Right. So from the perspective of a, a classic user interface that you could imagine, I bring up a GUI and then I can measure how many seconds it took for a person that's never seen this GUI before to accomplish a certain task. How many seconds did it take for someone who knows how to do it? Things like that. And from that, you can build a body of knowledge that allows you to build upon it so that you can build new GUIs based on that body of knowledge that from the get-go are superior. Did you build a dating website out of this? I did not, but that sounds like an awesome idea. I think that's already been done a couple times. So let's start with some funky stuff and let's talk about Dexman before we get into networking. So a few months ago, we were all together and you were playing with Dex at a event that you were hosting in New York. And then the next thing I know, I get this picture of you sitting up against a bulkhead in an airplane. What did you do? That just had my mind blown like five minutes after you sent the picture. The genesis of it all was really the, the challenge issued by Reed, right? So <laughs> we were sitting around. Challenge accepted. Challenge accepted. And we were talking about all sorts of things, whether it was, you know, hacking my BMW i3 to make it drive itself or whatever else we Let's were talking about. Let's go back to about, that in right? a minute. Yeah. And then Reed was like, oh, well, let me show you this Dex thing, right? And at the time, I forgot, did I just get the Note 9? I think I just got the Note 9 at that time, right? It was mm -hmm. right before that event I got the Note 9. And then at that at that point, we had we discussed, oh, well, what can this do? I didn't even know it had this capability, this Dex capability, right? And then your challenge to me was, well, what can you possibly do with this Dex stuff, right? And that, before you get into what you did, what, what is, since you issued the challenge for yeah. what's Dex all about? Dex, so capital D, E, lowercase e, and then uh, capital X. Dex is, uh, as I call it, your desktop. Isn't that clever? Wow. Yeah, I'm a nerd. Uh, so basically, it turns your phone into a computer. It's just, you plug your phone in, uh, the, for the Note 9, I should say, for the Note 9 phone. You plug your phone in to the uh, USB-C port on the bottom, and it turns your phone into a full like computing desktop-like experience. Like same thing with you can like sync a keyboard and mouse, control V, control C, copy paste. You can snap windows back and forth like you can within a Windows environment. It's pretty amazing. So for people who are 
you know, looking to go a mobile only route with just a single device, you actually can do it with the Note 9 because it's a total powerhouse. So especially with like the S Pen and like some of the things you can do with that. And so we started having a conversation about DAX because in my search for a new personal computer, I realized I didn't need one uh, because of DAX. So I can just plug my phone in and do all the same things I would have probably spent $1,000 on a computer for, which is silly. And so uh, we started talking about DAX and it was just like, after the conversation that we had about you hacking your car, uh, hacking into your, your car and some of the other super genius things that you do, um, I was like, you know, I wonder what he can possibly do with this. So I was like, I can't wait to see what you'll do. Maybe just completely overhaul the UI, something completely crazy that only Simon would figure out, maybe launch a nuclear missile by accident. But um, in the in the process of issuing like this challenge. Would you like to play a game of chess? Yeah, right. Would you like to play a game of chess? I think we talked about that yesterday. Yeah. Um, if uh, in the process of issuing this challenge, I got a photo from you, which was uh, him plugging Dex, his phone into a pocket projector and actually projecting on the bulkhead of a plane and like a 40 inch screen, basically equivalent. Basically what was his, his computer when it was all said and done. Yeah, so what did the people around you say? Did, was there somebody sitting next to you that was yes, like, what there the hell was. are you doing? Um, and it was actually interesting to, to the reactions that I got, right? Because the screen was so large, right? It's so much larger than any screen you could possibly have on, on a, an airplane. On an airplane, right? mainly because you cannot carry a you, screen. First of all, you can't carry a screen that big. No. Second of all, the screen was so large that it was so big that it would actually exceeded the size of something that could be built into the airplane as well, right? right. Because, you know, the seven or 10 inch screen they give you or something like, even if you fly international, maybe you get like a 15 inch screen, right? But this was, the diagonalist was like double that, right? Yeah. So the reaction was not quite, you know, what are you doing? Which is what I thought the reaction would be. Because when I was walking in with all this in my mind that morning, mm. you know, I picked the seat and everything with the knowledge that I was going to send you that photo, right? <laughs> I was thinking, yeah, you know, I'm going to get some interesting reactions, right? The the flight attendant's going to be like, you know, whatever. Maybe I'm going to get thrown off the plane, given a parachute, thrown out the back. If you start like writing that, right? code with that while on an airplane, you're going to scare the hell out of me. And I did do right. that eventually. Yeah. Yeah, right. But uh, yeah. of course. The, uh, the, uh, the reaction was actually, how do I get that? So the person that was sitting to my right, yeah, he was like, how do I get that? I need that. Yeah. And the person that I was sitting on my left across the aisle, she was like, oh, how do you turn that on? Because her assumption was, was that, that was this a... was built into the airplane. Right. Because there's no way that you could possibly walk in, you know, with something that big. Right. <laughs> it's not possible. The guy on my right was, you know, he sort of understood a little more because he saw me on packing. It was just like, oh, I, I need that. Yeah. Right. So I told you, you had a Bluetooth keyboard. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, I have it right here in front of me. Foldable, yeah. you know, Bluetooth, foldable, foldable Bluetooth, Bluetooth keyboard. You have a little pocket. And I have a little projector. pocket projector. And then the most interesting thing about this entire is setup, HD. This is a 1080p pocket projector. Okay. Right. And the most interesting thing about this setup is that it fits completely into your suit. Right. So if I have nothing in this suit, like if I just start dumping all of my junk out, right, in which I don't need any, right. But if I just have my Note Nine. This fits in one pocket, right? Right, and then this pocket projector fits in the other pocket, and then my keyboard I could fit it in either, or I could even just fit it into my pen pocket or something. And you can see I am carrying nothing with me, right? Right. If I stand up and I start walking around with this, I've got nothing, no bag, nothing, just this, and I have a forty-inch screen with it. And that's right? going to do the TSA lines. <laughs> I think it's. I think it'll make you a lot of friends. To, I've, I've, there's two ways to make friends in an in an airplane or in an airport or anywhere in, in, in when you're traveling. 
One is the way that you're doing it. The other one is carry a uh, an extension cable with you, like a power strip. Power strip, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, if you want to make friends at an airport, that is the fastest way to do it. It's real quick. You just plug that in, and people are like, um, excuse me, can I? Can I, can can I do I, you mind if I? And it's oh, yeah, like, there's yeah, commercials all over, people fighting over, I, I'm, I'm dead. I'm dead. So when you issued that challenge to me, the whole, well, what can you do with it, right? The very... First thing I did was I tried to do and replicate the things that you had shown, hmm. which was, okay, I have this device, which is extremely powerful, and anywhere I go, if I have a screen, then I can do these kinds of things, right? So I hooked it up to my TV at home. Okay, that's cool. I hooked it up to these various screens. I drove around anywhere. I tried to do that. And what I very quickly realized is that that only works if you're in the use case where you have a large infrastructure behind what you're going to do. Mm -hmm. So if you're in a corporate environment or you're in some kind of environment where you are part cog in a bigger org and that bigger org has set up the world for you, you know, everywhere you go, there's a screen for some reason, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, you're going to to offices or, you know, other environments where this business is set up, right? So, Mm -hmm. you know, you're going to a warehouse, whatever it is, right? And there's a screen everywhere that what you're talking about, that made perfect sense. The problem is for an individual maverick that to use that, you can't carry the screen with you. The screen's simply too big to carry with you. And if you need to carry the screen with you, you might as well have the laptop. Right. So really what it came down to was, oh, what I need is I need like a foldable or a roll-up screen. So I started looking into that. And the problem is, is that, you know, to go get yourself like an OLED something or other, they're all prototypes and blah, blah, blah. And who knows? And also yeah, super, yeah, expensive. super expensive. So they're... that's when I kept on thinking. I'm like, you know what I really need is I need the ability to have something exactly the same size as the phone because mm-hmm. that's the maximum size that will really fit in your pocket that will somehow be able to generate a 30 or 40-inch screen. Because once you exceed 15-inch screen, then it's no longer something that's tractable to carry with you, right? right? The laptop at 15 inches is the biggest you can do, right? So I was like, how can I generate a 30-inch diagonal screen or at least a 20-inch diagonal screen from something the same size as a phone? And that's when I started thinking and I arrived at, oh, I need a pocket protector. And the combination of the Note 9 and the pocket projector is this ridiculously ultimate expression of how you can use DeX on an individual kind of crazy maverick perspective, as opposed to what I think the original use case was, which was to use DeX in an infrastructure where, uh, you know, it's already set up for you to use, right? And that's the magic of it. You know, it's like I've taken this concept and I've moved it to some place where an individual can leverage this as opposed to having an infrastructure. I mean, it's it's pretty it's pretty amazing. I just use it. I just plug it into my monitor at home. I'm not nearly as cool as that. <laughs> I use it in a very typical typical manner. I bought the Bluetooth keyboard. Now I've just got to go get the projector, and that way I start carrying fewer things. Because every time I go get on the airplane, I'm carrying two laptops, a couple right. of phones, and too much stuff. things. So I would I would love to get to the point where I can just use that, just Dex and just my phone. That would be ideal. How much memory do you have in those? Can you run some higher-end apps like an Adobe Creator? Yes, suite? you can. So I've got the 512 gig. Um, it's, the, it's got 8 gigs of RAM on the phone, 512 okay. gigs of storage. So, And also the uh, expandable storage will take up to 2 terabytes of expandable storage. And so I've got, I think the largest current micro SD card is 512. But with the internal plus of 512, you have a terabyte of storage in your phone, in your hand. And, and eight then, gigs of RAM. And eight gigs of RAM. So, I mean, that's, I mean, my laptop is, I believe, 
five or five gigs of RAM, four gigs of RAM, and 128 gig SS, SSD. So I mean, I've I've more than tripled the storage and doubled the uh, computing power. And also, too, a lot of things uh, that you can do from like a graphic design perspective, which would require a heavier load. Like I'm a big Adobe guy. So uh, I have like the master suite collection. So I do a ton of stuff within like video editing and graphic design. And some of that stuff you can actually, you can manipulate on your mobile device. Right. And so it's, I mean, Spark. it's, yeah, I mean, there's, I, Spark's fantastic for, uh, for stuff like that. And so um, I, I can get away with doing a ton of stuff on my phone. And actually the reason that I was waiting, I broke my phone. The reason I, I was insistent on getting the Note 9 was because of all the graphic design stuff that I do. I can't, I can't get away with just one of our normal non S pen devices because I need that. I need that from a creation perspective. Right. It's very crucial for so, me. We'll, we'll get into some other uh, things you could do with this, but since we're on an airplane right now and you're projecting a 30-inch, throwing a 30-inch screen on, are you worried about security with that, aside from people seeing what's on your desktop? I mean, what about other things being able to connect to you? Is People complain about in-flight Wi-Fi all, all the time, right? It's broken in some capacity. What can be done to kind of take that? Now you've got this individual Maverick experience, what can you do to make the in-flight? There's really like three different networks on an airplane. There's the telemetry network, and there's the, for lack of a better term, the back office, which is what the pilot, co-pilot, and everybody communicate on. So you have the machine network, you have this crew network, and then you have what the rest of us use after we get past 10,000 feet that we're connecting via Wi-Fi. and streaming videos now or doing our things, but is there any security problems there? Absolutely, it's a huge one, right? You just described a very simple uh, scenario that's that's true of almost every network, which is that people chose the answer as something other than my favorite answer, right? Remember? I love this one. Right? My, my, the answer to every good question, right? Yes. It is zero, unity, or infinity, right? So in this case, you've chosen the answer of three, where you've chosen that you're gonna have three segments. One for the telemetry, one for the machine to machine, right? One for these people that are essentially staff and one for the essentially the people that are guests. The public network. Right? So, right. so this answer of three cannot possibly be right because it's not zero. You're gonna have to, infinity, you're gonna right? have to explain that for well, people listening. So a really intelligent person once told me that if you have asked the right question, right? That if you formulated the right question, then there can be no possible answer to that question numerically other than it can't be done or zero. There's exactly one way to do it, which means you've discovered the right way to do it, which is the unity or the one, or the answer of the way you have to do it is you have to do it kind of like the same way for everybody or something like that, right? Which is where the infinity comes from, right? So that means that if your answer, like the way that you're solving the problem, the architecture of what you're doing is you're gonna make like four things, that means fundamentally your architecture is flawed. Right, because you either can't do it, you can do it, and it's got to be the same, or it's got to be, you know, a different thing for everybody or whatever. Right? You can't have this thing where your your answer is, oh, well, I'm going to do like like two or three things every single time you have an answer like that. It's flawed, right? Every single time. And so what you've just described there is, I'm going to go build a network where the network architecture has three segments. Three is not zero, one, or infinity. Well, they're actually building Unity three times is what they typically do, right? They build three separate networks on an airplane. Uh, and, and you would They're think- They're physically separated, and yeah. that's expensive by itself. But, and actually- but that's recent, still probably wrong. Recently, uh, we 
uh, Terrell actually ran a, a little network scan for me. I gave him a little tool. He actually ran a tool I gave him, and we actually showed this on one of the recent webinars. It turns out that it's not quite three times Unity because when he ran the tool on the guest Wi-Fi network, we discovered that the infrastructure was on there as well. So there were embedded computers on the same slash 24 as the guests. And that is beyond insane. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's, but, I think you do bring up a really good point, though. And this is like things have not been architected well over a period of like 20 years because it's, it's everything's been ad hoc. And we as we have created things, we don't go back and look at better ways to do them sometimes. And that's especially because of how expensive infrastructure is. So yeah. once you start building it, it's like it becomes uh, there's a great analogy that I heard about the curvy road. Have you have I told you guys this? So if you go to like uh, Connecticut, right, if you've, if you've ever driven around Connecticut, it's curvy roads everywhere. And the reason why there's curvy roads everywhere is because those were at one point walking paths when the country was established. And those eventually became like horse paths and cart paths. And that became the thing, right? You go to the, that mountainside or that hillside and then you go to the west or you go east by the, you know, the tree that looks like a baby's hand or whatever, however people got around back then. They didn't have Google Maps. But anyway, my point is, is that those, those paths became eventually uh, car paths, horse paths, whatever, and they got paved. And those, those are the roads that we now have. I could live literally like 10 minutes away from you in Connecticut, but it would take me 45 minutes to an hour to get somewhere because of the curvy roads. You have to drive these crazy road patterns. Now, that was before the advent of the car. But if you go to a place like Phoenix, which was very much established after the advent of the car, it's, it's, all, in a, southeast, it's all a grid pattern. Grid. And why is it a grid pattern? Because the best way to get around in a car is, is point A to point B. It's in, a straight, it's in a straight line. And so I look at infrastructure and tech in that exact same way. And a lot of people, it's like the, the curvy roads, they keep paving over and they keep just trying to rehabilitate what's there instead of tearing it down and rebuilding it better mm -hmm. because it's too expensive sometimes. Well, or because they don't know. Or right? because so they don't know. Yeah. I can totally imagine, like with the thing we were talking about before, right? It doesn't fit the zero unity infinity. We right. haven't done the infinity. We haven't built a separate network for each one of the people, right? right. And so we built this sort of like what we thought was a unity, but it turned not into a unity. Mm. The reason for that is because someone decided to start adding things to it. I bet that the person that designed that original network thought it was okay. First of all, they, was, they were wrong because obviously it's not okay if you have people sharing a network when they don't know each other, right? But let's say, let's get beyond that. It got worse when the next dude that showed up decided to start attaching more infrastructure to the infrastructure. Right. Right. So in that case, it wasn't even so much that they didn't design it in their minds correctly, but someone else showed up and changed it, right? Without the original guy's knowledge. Right. And because the original guy that designed it, you know, didn't follow solid principles to begin with, when someone adds to it, then it gets that much worse. There is something to be said about the infrastructure being built incorrectly and the perception that it's too expensive to overhaul it, right? And this is one of the things I saw when I was in the healthcare world uh, for a short time. That cost, that perceived cost to fix problems, nobody wanted to, A, and again, I, I say perceived cost because it, there is always going to be costs associated with infrastructure. You can't get around it. But there's a couple things that happen. One, people, because of the cost, they kind of immediately tune away from it. Um, right. However, that is a really dangerous game to play. And the reason being is because the more time that you don't address a problem, the bigger the problem has become or will become. Oh, that's for and sure. so this thing that I saw in healthcare where people had or refused to address this lack of connectivity for so long, 
it's it's gotten so bad that the game of catch up now actually does seem impossible from a cost perspective because they have to do so much groundwork. I mean, there are places that don't even have like fiber in the ground. In some of the, in some of the uh, like coming from the post acute care world and senior care and senior living, like there there are places that are just sans wireless, sans connectivity completely because they don't think that there's a necessity for it. And to try to start putting all of that in now is so cost prohibitive. It's it, it really has done like that like so, certain certain areas of, of markets have done such a disservice to themselves in the industries uh, where they have not explored this and not try to get ahead of it because of cost and so there so there's that piece of it which you talked about Simon about the things being architected improperly which is like the initial cost then there's the cost of actually having to go back and redo it properly. And then there's also the education around it as well. And people, I mean, look, we're creatures of habit, man. I'm, I'm guilty of that as well. Like, like I use my father's example about this all the time. He hates a very particular uh, printer manufacturer but that he has at home. And as soon as it breaks, what does he do? He goes out and he buys the exact same manufacturer printer. <laughs> Why? Because even though he doesn't like it, he knows how it runs and he understands. He under, he, there's like a familiarity of like the software and the user interface and it's the strangest thing, but it, it is true. That's just the way that, that people kind of behave. So you get comfortable in a technology and learning it. I, I feel like it's it's our responsibility to try to like maintain that curiosity that you have as a kid, especially when it comes to tech, because otherwise we'll never get ahead of this. We're always going to be falling behind. But a lot of these organizations don't. They don't have that. They get very comfortable in something. And it's, it's very frustrating from like the technologist's perspective of wanting to try to get to that that next level because we can't. There's such a leapfrog that needs to happen in the tech world in certain areas that it's just it's just it feels broken. So there's it's, probably a segment of people out there that do have the ability to influence or make decisions, right? But politically, they don't think it's expedient to say, "Man, I should have done this a year or two ago," right? Because anyway, I knew what I knew, but yeah, there's, there's I didn't a, highlight this. And if I take this up and say, "Hey, I've got to spend this much money to clean this up," right? then they're they're fearful for their job and they want to highlight yeah that's such a huge thing it's like you don't nobody wants to be the guy to be like look we need to spend like several millions of dollars to be able to fix this it could even be just tens of thousands of dollars yeah some cases so we go back even the small stuff yeah even people are like you know even for the small things and it's such a strange thing because the the end result is so powerful and you're in such a better place after the spend, but it's like really weird. Like nobody wants to be that guy, and I think I, I feel like I'm that guy too much because I'm always like, "We need this." <laughs> we need this. <laughs> so go back to the airplane. How do you uh, keep somebody with bad intentions from doing things they shouldn't do with the other 320 passengers on the plane? Well, just like you got a private seat, right? You mm-hmm. should have a private network. So you know, you build a. A single unified physical infrastructure, but you need to make sure that you use an infrastructure that supports the concept of log- logical micro segmentation. Mm-hmm. Right. So you want the ability to deploy a network where you can, in software, essentially not hardware, not hardware. Right. Just in hardware, oh, you hardware could do it. It would be a little expensive, right? Because yeah. what would be the perfect network? In hardware for that would be, I suppose, if underneath every single seat right. there was essentially a termination point or an actual. Yeah, we don't have router. Ethernet on our computers we anymore. We don't so. have Ethernet or something like whatever, right? Yeah. So that doesn't mean. I guess you could probably try to do something even crazier and have a wireless access point with its own unique SSID for every single seat, but that would be also insane, right? First of all, you would get no performance. Second of all, we would be uh, irradiating ourselves, and that would probably be bad. So you know what you want is you want one physical network. And then you want to make sure that you 
to you know deploy enough logical micro segments uh, to be able to support one for each person on the plane. Now, ideally, it wouldn't even be one for each person on the plane because you often travel with family, right? Yeah. You often travel mm. with companions. So, you know, ideally, the system would actually be hooked up to uh, whatever it is, the reservation control system they have, and then they would know that if you're in seat 11A and you authenticate with, you know, you could say seat number and, and last name, or you could authenticate with, let's say, your reservation code, you know, that six-letter thing, right? Well, you just do it off an app. I mean, like my flight United, I'm a huge United fan. Um, and so I just have my United app. I book yeah, all my travel through my United app. Can you attach something like this into a loyalty program? Absolutely. Right? Because what could happen big is, revenue is uh, when, you're, when your mobile device, let's say you're using the app, right, connects to this network, right? It'd be trivial to make sure that your mobile device the app was coded so that it would check the default gateway address every single time it connects to the internet. And if mm -hmm. it sees that it's on an airplane, right, it should go and transmit its current six-digit code or whatever it is, your reservation code, you know, mm -hmm. to that default gateway. And so then, therefore, everyone that, you know, is on your reservation would be in the same logical micro segment. So you and your family is in one little bubble on this airplane, and then the, the guy that's sitting across the aisle that's solo on this, right, is in their own little bubble, mm. and the person sitting next to them, maybe there's two people in that party, they have their own little bubble, right? And all of this is doable with the Samsung Access product, right? In fact, it's designed specifically for this use case because of the fact that what I was describing before, the zero unity infinity problem, right? When you ask that question of, well, how many micro, how many segments should this, net, should this networks or these networks on these airplanes have, Three, it's the wrong answer. It means either you ask the wrong question or your answer is wrong. In that case, the answer is wrong. So the idea is to build systems that are designed from day one to address this correctly from a foundational perspective, right? Not just, oh, well, we think this might be okay, but from an actual academic foundational correct perspective. And so we've done that. The technology is there and people just need to come and use it at this point right right, sure right. are you going to get a projector <laughs> um i you know what i don't i don't know if get i want a projector i don't i watch a lot of like um i watch dex man too i watch a lot of very dicey shows you they're, get, they're sometimes violent it. and i don't want to you know have that up i feel like maybe some kids would be upset dex man gets a cape someone gets shot and there's like a seven-year-old next to me i feel like he you know that yeah, wouldn't be so good. Well, I will say from the... But he does uh, get a cape. He does get a cape. <laughs> There's one of the Cs, one of the six Cs now. We <laughs> talked about the six Cs. It was five I from Imran, but we, we added... We, we made added, another one. made another one? Yeah, you get a cape. If, okay. if you nail the five Cs, you get a cape. So we, saw, we just solved a big security challenge, right? And made it easier with app integration to connect. If you're not broadcasting over slash 24 slash 23 whatever in an airplane are you going to be more efficient in your networking get rid of some overhead is there Absolutely. is it going to be a better experience from a speed perspective at least yeah. to the access point i mean yeah. you can't you can't guarantee the satellite link right. but or whatever they're using else whatever they're using seeing, because they a lot of those have multiple multiple link possibilities there right too. But uh, absolutely. And the reason for that is because uh, you're essentially controlling frame egress, right? So the way Ethernet works is 
it's originally designed to be a giant bus, right? So that yeah. means that every single time someone wants to talk with somebody else, you put it on this bus and everybody receives a message, right? right? And that was the fundamental initial design. And over the past, you know, 30 years or so or whatever, we've gotten better and better and better at it, right? We've made it more uh, efficient. We've managed to figure out ways to kind of uh, be smart about where we push these frames. And that's what Ethernet switching is about and stuff like that, right? But when you think about wireless, specifically with Wi-Fi, you kind of have to go back to the original way in which it works, which is basically it goes and it sends the frame out to everybody. So by limiting the microsegments to only to the frames of each individual microsegment to only egress the access point for which the microsegment is attached, then the total number of frames going over the air is actually reduced, right? Because if you have, you know, whereas before, let's say you had 300 people on this network, right? Mm -hmm. Well, then what happens is that the frames for all 300 people are going to egress all of the access points throughout the entire network. But now what we're saying is there's 300 microsegments. And let's say there's 10 access points, okay? Well, that means that on average, only the frames for 30 people are going to egress each access point. And so because of the total number of frames egressing the access point is lower, then what happens is that the total amount of air time being consumed by frames is less. So by simply micro-segmenting the network, we can actually improve the capacity and or improve the experience of the end user by making a change in L2, which is truly remarkable, right? Because normally people talk about the layers of the networking stack, and you can't mess with a different layer by messing with one layer. That's sort of like the fundamental principle, right? right. If I'm at layer three and I make a change, it's not supposed to affect layer two, right? Or something like that. In this right. case, what I'm saying is I'm making a change at layer two. I'm changing the number of segments in the data link layer. And by doing that, I can actually change and affect what's happening at the physical layer. Because what's going on is, is that we're reducing the amount of frames that are egressing that are non-essential to the operation at that particular aspect of the network. And so just by micro-segmenting it, performance goes up, usability goes up, everything gets better by making a very straightforward change and deploying Samsung Nexus. Wow. That's probably enough for today. People's heads are spinning. It was a, it was a ton. And I, wanna, I, I do want to, when the next segment kicks off, I want to talk about, um, uh, I want to talk about uh, how Simon crashed uh, the network at a hotel that will remain unnamed for legal purposes. Yeah. But yeah, it'll be, uh, I think that's it, a great, that's a really great story. And I think it also kind of, I think it. We still got to talk about the i3 too. Well, we have to talk about the, <laughs> yeah, the packing of your own car was incredible. But the concept of zero unity infinity really, I think, hits home when you tell that story. Because it is, you aren't talking hypothetically about like what you could do to like a, a plane in flight or like, you know, the security issues behind it. You actually really did crash a network. And it really does. Uh, I think some of the examples that you uh, have in there are pretty, pretty phenomenal. And so, uh, you know, what's really more interesting to me about the zero unit, unity and infinity mm -hmm. is I didn't realize that Simon actually had a teacher at one point. I thought he was born this way. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he did. Ha he had a Yoda. What well, was actually what was really incredible is when he said um, he said I had a I had a uh, really smart teacher one day, and I'm like. Because meeting for you, one day. well, yeah, well, no, for just one day, yeah. Because well, I remember when we went to dinner, I was like, God, this guy is so freaking smart. Like, I'm just like, I think I sat, and I won't ever shut up, as you can tell from the podcast that we just did. I, like, so when I start rambling, so you were at dinner talking, and I was just like, 
I, I don't think I spoke for like 45 minutes. I was just in awe. Like if you, your eyes kept getting wider and wider. I mean, you're, you're just like, yeah, there's some people are just off the charts, like in a good way. And you are for sure in that. And I'm just like I said, I'm glad you're like on, on the side of good. Yeah. Can keep you well, there. <laughs> let, let's shut it down for today. And uh, we'll get Simon Reed back in here and right. chew on some more stuff. So thanks for being here. Yeah, and thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. Uh, we'll go again. Adios. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recalibrate. For previous and upcoming episodes, or for more of our content, you can head to samsung-networks.com, or you can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify.